when we don't even know what to pray, that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings even too deep for words. God, we, 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 we trust that you will intervene and intercede for where words fail us. God, for the families of both Palestinians and Jews and, and um, Americans and any other nationality, any other tribe, tongue or creed that is represented over there who is impacted directly by this conflict or even indirectly, God, I, I pray for those families who have lost children and spouses and siblings and neighbors and friends and co-workers and for the several who haven't yet heard one way or the other if their loved ones are even still alive. God, I, I lift that pain of that situation up to you because you are the only one who is able to do anything about it. God, we ask that by your sovereign power some way that you would take what was done in, in the name of evil and will be used for good. Somehow, God, for your glory. We lift that up to you. That's all we can do. And we trust you because we know you are good. We know you are able. And we know you hear the cries of your people. So we lift it up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, I know that's pretty somber, but this, this, this week we're going to continue in our, our study of the parables. Again, I'm not Joe. I don't, I don't have a Scheller bike to show off on stage. I don't have any George Washington trivia for you guys, unfortunately. I've never rented a BMW X5, 6, 7, any of that stuff. I don't even know what those are, to be honest with you. I'm from Bullitt County. Not to say there's no Beamers in Bullitt County, but anyways. Uh, but what I do have is a bowl, some salt, and a headlamp, and I've seen some episodes of MacGyver, so I think we're going to be able to figure it out. I'm not sure what this chair up here is for. I'm guessing it's the seat of honor that if Joe shows up, we'll just put him right up there in the wall, keep an eye on him. But anyways, we, we're going to get in today uh, to salt and light. That's one of those passages, whether you grew up in the church, around the church or not, you've probably heard, salt to the earth. That's a phrase we've heard a lot. Uh, we're going to read that passage today, and we're going to just try to unpack it. Here's my sermon outline. We're going to talk about salt. We're going to talk about light. We're going to talk about salt and light, and then I'll be done. It's not very complicated. And then the hope is that as we unpack this, that then as, as we leave or as you stay, that you would process and you would chew on this information and that it would have some bearing, some impact on your life. That we would not just gather on a Saturday to accumulate information, but that this, this, this knowledge of God's word would result in transformation in our lives and lead to fruit. We just finished a series on fruit. Uh, so when I finish, some of you I know stay at your tables and unpack it. Some of you go to Cracker Barrel and unpack it. Some of you start in here before the teaching and, and you, you have some, some discussion time. Maybe it says you're just driving home and you process. Maybe it's in your quiet time tomorrow. However you process and meditate and ruminate on the word of God, my challenge is that, again, we don't just have a good time in here, but that we take it and then it has an impact on our lives, on our walk. So open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew 5 through 7 records the most famous sermon ever preached. What's the title of that sermon? Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so the, the, the passage starts, I think it's helpful if we just read verse 1. We'll start in verse 13 for our, our teaching section today. We'll be in 13 through 16. Uh, but if you're there, Matthew 5 kind of gives us the context, starting in verse 1. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, 
his disciples came to him. So very common at that time, a, a teacher would get to an elevated place so his hearers could circle around and hear him. They didn't have the microphone. And so Jesus has these crowds. He's this traveling itinerant rabbi. He's this traveling teacher, healing people. Crowds are forming. They're starting to gather and follow. And he sees the crowds. He goes up on the mountain and he sits down. And his disciples come near. And he begins to teach his disciples. Now certainly the crowds are around also and they're still hearing this. But the context Matthew gives us is that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Which I think is helpful as we'll get to our text today. But he's speaking directly to them. And likely what Matthew is conveying is those 12 men. Those 12 that we later call the apostles. He's speaking to them. Certainly the teaching expands beyond that. But again, it is so important to remember. He's talking to those who are already his students, his followers. And so he starts to teach them, and then we get that section that's super famous, the Beatitudes, where a lot of the Old Testament, you hear a lot of this covenantal language, and in the New Testament, Jesus, not exclusively, but primarily uses kingdom language. We talked about the kingdom of God is like, your life is like that plastic cup on your, on your table. Your life is like a cup, Joe talked about, right? So he starts to use this kingdom language, and in the Beatitudes, he almost gives you this Christian moral ethic, this standard. He says, hey... I, I am the king, I am the Messiah, I'm the anointed one you've been waiting for, but I'm not the kind of king you think I'm going to be. I'm not going to take over in power and in violence and push out the Romans. I'm a different kind of king than what you're expecting. I'm a better king. And if you're in my kingdom, you're my citizens. And you don't know what, what kind of citizens are elevated in my kingdom? That's what the Beatitudes gives us. It, it's those who are meek, those who are humble, who are broken in spirit. It's those who are peacemakers. As we pray for the peace in the Middle East, it's the moral ethic of the kingdom of God. It's, it's those who seek to make peace. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus says that if you are gonna be my kind of people, that's what it looks like. So it's almost like the Beatitudes give us this internal look. Then we get to our section today, and that's what we're gonna read, that it almost kind of moves to the external. Like, if that's what the internal is supposed to look like, what's the external look like? What are you supposed to do? And as men, a lot of times we like to know, just tell me what to do. Like, I don't want to ask all these questions. Just tell me what to do, right? Would you just tell me what you want? Where do you want to go eat? You know, so anyways, Matthew 5, verse 13. Let's just read it 13 through 16, and then we'll jump in. Starting in verse 13, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste... How can, it be, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So the passage opens with this image of salt. So I'd just like to hear from you guys. When you hear the word salt, like I got a big jug of Morton salt, you hear salt, what do you think about? What does that trigger for you guys? Eating. Eating. Yeah, there you go. It's easy enough. What else? Flavor. It's a good one. Steak. Steak. All right. I like your style. Preservative. Yeah. Preservation. Want some pepper. All right, fair enough. What else? What is it? Snow. Snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Road salt. Rock salt. Throw it out. What you got? Popcorn. 
Got a few smiles from that one. I like that. What else? Heart attack. Heart attack. <laughs> That's a real one. Hypertension. I thought that would come up sooner. High blood pressure. Lay off the salt. What do you, what do you got? Plentiful. Plentiful. Lots of salt. Lots of salt in the earth. Hydration. Hydration. Electrolytes. Salts. Yeah. Ocean. Ocean. What'd you say? Goodness. Goodness. I think about uh, when I grew up, the, the cool chef, if there's such a thing as a cool chef, was Emeril Lagasse. Now I guess it's Bobby Flay or whoever. But I can just remember Emeril Lagasse having a big pot of boiling water, you know, a big Italian guy making a bunch of pasta. And he would go to salt the water. And I can just remember him taking a handful of it and just sprinkling it over the pot. Does anybody remember this? And then people would kind of be like, well, it's a lot of salt. And then he'd grab more and what would he do? Bam! Yeah, he throw bam, bam. He throw some more at it, like, and then some over the shoulder for good luck. I don't know what that's about, but yeah. So salt. Anything else come to mind? What was it? Thirsty. Yeah. Where's my Where's my chemist? Where's my nerds? I'm a pharmacist. Like I did a lot of school. Where's my nerds at? Preservative. Sodium chloride, thank you so much. I thought for sure somebody would school us on ionic bonds, positive and negative, ionic, NaCl. Anything else? Okay. So as we, as we think through like salt, 2023, you think about salt, we've got a lot of ideas, a lot of things that trigger in our mind. Thankfully, the uses of salt haven't changed a lot in about 2,000 years or even further back. But it's helpful to acknowledge that as we go to a text, we kind of bring some baggage with us, Right? Because certainly, Jesus isn't saying you're the Emerald Lagasses of the world, right? He's not saying that. He's not saying you're the road salt of the earth. Like, lower the freezing point of water and prevent black ice. Like, that's not his message, clearly. But it's helpful to acknowledge, like, as we come to the text, there's things that we, we trigger that maybe didn't trigger for them. So it's helpful to think through, what, what would they have heard? What would they have thought about when Jesus said to, this to his disciples? So he says, you are the salt of the earth, that, that word he uses for earth kind of conveys the idea of like soil or ground. That is, his disciples draw near and he's just told them about their heart, what they're supposed to be like, humble and broken in spirit and meek. Then he says, look around. Like the world around you, where you're standing, the soil, you know what your role is? You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, what, what good is it? Like you might as well just throw it out in the street to be trampled on. And so... When I think, what would they have heard with that? Well, if you remember, they, it was around the Mediterranean Sea. So to some degree, salt was pretty readily available. You think of like the tide pool would come up and those rocks, and as the tide would go down, water would be trapped. Sun would evaporate water, and you walk over, and there's some white, crusty stuff. Sea salt. So maybe as Jesus saying, like, you're plentiful, you're easily accessible. As my followers, people can find you. I don't think that's quite it. I think the preservative one is a good one. I think that kind of conveys some stuff. Preservatives preserve life. Some people say, it, you know, salt adds flavoring. It brings depth and richness to the experience of life here. But I just think about Jesus saying, again, read what it says. If it's no, long, it's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under. My disciples, you are the salt of the earth. If you're not salt, if you're not being salty, in the way that salt is meant to be or designed to be, you're useless to me. As men, thinking he's speaking directly, primarily to men in this context, not exclusively, certainly there are women there, 
There were lots of women disciples and students and followers of Jesus read the New Testament for sure. But if it's his 12 who are nearest and he's teaching directly to them and he's talking about usefulness, I think about, especially as a room full of men, like our usefulness matters a lot to us. A lot of our identity is wrapped up in our usefulness. Part of that is a good thing. Certainly when Jesus, when, rather when God made Adam, he put him in the garden to work and to keep it. That was before sin entered the equation. Work is not a bad thing, but after the fall, work got a whole lot harder. And when we put a lot of stock and identity in our work to our own glory, that's when it becomes an idol, certainly. But I just think about like, you know, the VP at Humana walks in and says, hey, thanks for 20 years, appreciate it. We've restructured our organization. We decided your role is not useful to us anymore. You can pack your things and go. Like that stings men and women, but I think especially for men, we want to be useful, we want to produce, we want to be able to work. And so if Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, you're the salt of the earth. You look around, that's what you are if you're my followers. And if you're not being salty, you're useless to me. I don't want to miss out on what I'm supposed to be doing. That seems like a big deal to me. So the function of the follower of Jesus is kind of what's at stake here, I think. And so Jesus doesn't want us to miss that. Uh, in, the, in the book of Colossians, it, it talks about letting your speech always being seasoned with salt. So there's a function here Jesus is getting to, a usefulness that we need to catch. Um, I, I, I think the idea of being a preservative is really helpful here. We mentioned preservative. And we mentioned sodium chloride, NaCl, positive and negative ions bind salt together. When I think about a preservative, salt is a preservative, right? You catch a fish in the Sea of Galilee, you pack it a bunch of salt, it draws the water out, it essentially dehydrates it, and you've got a sea bass jerky stick. Yummy. That would be great, right? Uh, I don't know. I haven't had any fish jerky lately. Uh, But anyway, so as a preservative, I personally tend to think about you are promoting and preserving life. But it's also true to say you are stopping decay. One is almost like a positive way to state that. One is almost a negative way of stating it. And I tend to think as a Christian, my role is to go preserve life and promote life. I want to be pro-life. I want to preserve and promote life. When I see decay, I tend to say that's a little bit bigger than what I can handle. That's just going to happen anyways. I'm going to focus my energy here. But I think salt as a preservative does both ends. As I've prepared for this, that's where I have been most convicted that I feel like the Lord is challenging me, that I'm not intentionally stepping in to stop the decay around me. Let me give you a a real practical example. So my wife Jessica and I have two boys. Eli is five, Noah's almost four. They just started at a real school a couple months ago. So for the past year, we've been having this conversation, where the heck are we going to send our kids? This is a big deal. Of course, money is a big factor in that, but... We had narrowed it down. We've got a private Christian option and we've got a a public option. And so let me just share with you some internal angst that I wrestled with as I I thought through what are we gonna do with our boys, okay? Let me give you the two pictures. One, we are raising our boys to have a Christian biblical world view, to see and understand the the world through the lens of, of scripture, of the Bible, as it's revealed by God through his word. That, that, that scripture tells us bad company corrupts good character. 
that iron sharpens iron. We want to get them around other kids, around other families that are trying to instill and teach the things of God. Read Deuteronomy 6. Like We want to raise them to know the things of God, to love the Lord their God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We, we want to talk about this in our home as we rise, as we lie down, as we come, as we go. We want to write it on the doorpost of our home. Like We want to teach them the things of God. Scripture commands us to do that. That if I'm going to transmit to pass on my faith, I have to be so intentional. They're going to spend a lot of time at this place. I want to preserve life. I want to promote life. Why would I not go this route where I can put them in an environment to reinforce what we're teaching them? You see that? Now watch this. We are raising our boys to have a Christian worldview, to see the world through the lens of Scripture. Statistically, if we go into the public sector, we're going to rub shoulders with a lot more unbelievers than believers, comparatively speaking. Like, read Romans 10. If you profess faith in Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. But how, how can you profess faith in him if you, don't, if you don't believe in him? And how could you believe in him if you've never heard of him? How would you ever hear of them if no one ever preaches? How would anybody preach if no one ever sends them? How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news of the gospel? Like, we want to stop the decay of the society around us. You look at the, any news headline, it is going to hell in a handbasket. If I don't step in, who will? Jesus has called me to be salt and light, to be his hands and feet. Our kids are ambassadors for Christ and we're gonna leverage everything we have to the glory of God. We're gonna go intentionally stop the decay of society around us. We're gonna go have an impact to his glory. Now, as you step back, which one of those is being salt? I think both. That's where this gets real tricky, right? Especially in the culture we live in where everybody has a tribe and if you're not in my tribe, then you're against me and we should cancel you. And so I think especially for a room that is intergenerational this morning, man, as we apply these ethics, for some of us, even within our tables, it's gonna look very different. But it's about the heart behind, the, the, the motive behind the decisions we're making and we've gotta link arms and support each other. So Jesus says, go be salt. So part of this principle we're building out, I'm gonna say if you take notes, as followers of Jesus, we should strive to be useful to Jesus. Seems pretty straightforward. And that would include both preserving life and stopping decay. One more note on that. The context is he is speaking to his disciples. He didn't go to Levi at the tax booth and say, hey, show me how useful you are to me and then you can come be my disciple. Hey, Peter, guys, hey, come here pause on the boat for a second. Show me that, prove to me you'll be useful and then you can follow me. It's not what happened. He graciously told them to come and follow him. And then in light of his grace bringing them in, now he commissions them and sends them out as citizens in his kingdom, right? This is not works righteousness. This is not earning God's favor. This is not earning our way in. We aren't seeking to be useful to earn anything. We're being useful because our king has commanded us to do so. So that's salt. Let's look at the next section here. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before them that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, now we get this image of light. We had salt, now we have light. What do you guys think of when you hear the word light? What does that trigger for you? Not everybody at once. 
What was it? Clarity? Jesus, light of the world. Vision. No fear? Revealing. Revelation. Absence of darkness. Brightness. Setting an example. So again, you see, we have thoughts about it. Light hasn't changed a lot in the past 2,000 years, relatively speaking, but now we've got these things all around the walls that electricity puts into a bulb and we've got light. But Jesus uses the image of their day and he says, you wouldn't light a lamp, put a bowl over it. What's the point of that? You can't see anything. Like, clearly his message here is still having to do with usefulness. And so he's saying, hey, you're, you're the light of the world. And if you're going to be the light, don't be stuck under a bowl being useless to me. So again, the image seems to be very much about function, about use to Jesus. And it's interesting to me, he said, you're the salt of the earth. Now he says, you're the light of the world. That's a different word. That word is where we get the idea of the cosmos. So it's almost like he's zoomed out. He hasn't changed the teaching. It's like he's expanding it and building it and growing it. Within the realm of, it was like, look around. Feel what you're standing on. You are the salt of the earth. Now it's like he zooms out. Look around. The entire cosmos, bigger than you can even take in. You don't know what your role in that is? You're the light of the world. (laughs) So he's zooming out. and, And also catch this, verse 16 This gives us the whole purpose, the whole point in being useful to Jesus. It's so that others may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God. God. Do you you know why we're striving to be useful? It's not to earn our way in. It's not to be impressive. We'll look next week at the the Pharisee and the tax collector. We'll see a lot of that come up there. We do it to, to, to glorify God. So I think it's helpful to pause here and to say, it is entirely possible to functionally be useful and to be salt and to be light and yet rob God of his glory. You remember a few weeks ago when we were in the, the week talking about patience and the fruit of the Spirit. You remember the story of Joe's from the bank? He's there one week and they're not being very attentive and he's having to wait longer than he anticipated and they called him in. He didn't ask to go in, they wanted him but they're not respecting his time and he's starting to get frustrated, right? But a week later, when he goes back in, a couple comes in and needs something notarized and he knows that'll only just take a couple minutes and he has the attention of the bank workers, but he says, no, 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 they can go ahead. And they're like, oh, Mr. Donaldson, thank you so much. And he was honest with you guys and he told you, like the truth is I was in control in that moment. And they praised me and praised me because I was so patient. Well, you know, that's, I'm a Christian. I teach the Bible, you know. And he talked about who, who, who got the glory in that. Like internally, he knew. And how many times have we done that? That even when we rationalize, am I going to preserve life? Am I going to intentionally stop decay? What is my motive here? Then we also have to ask, who's getting the glory? Who's getting praised for the actions, for, for the way that we're striving to be useful? And so as I think about the function of light, if we're going to state things both positively and negatively again, I think in one sense, light shows the way. It it guides the path. It it, it lights the way forward. In another sense, it dispels darkness. 
It's almost like positive and negative. One is trying to imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me, I'm gonna guide this path. I'm gonna blaze the trail forward. The other one is almost like I am going to take light into that dark place to dispel darkness. Like our church has, has put a lot of energy and effort into anti-human trafficking efforts. That's what comes to mind for me when I think about taking light and trying to dispel darkness. I think it's also helpful to, to remember that we don't generate that light. We merely reflect it. Jesus is truly the light and we reflect his light to those around us, to the unbelieving world around us. So quick story about the importance of light. Uh, each fall, I go on a camping trip to um, Red River Gorge and we climb Indian Staircase. Anybody know Staircase? A couple hands, couple hands. All right, right on. Okay, so you'll know how silly I am. Uh, about 10 years ago, a group of guys and I decided, hey, let's go down on a Friday night and put headlamps up and hike up the mountain. Mountain in Kentucky is a relative term, but hike up this mountain in the dark with our headlamps on backpacks. We'll camp up there and we'll stay the night and we'll come back next day. We'll be men. And it was so awesome. We've done it every year since. And this is either the 10th or 11th year. And there's a group of anywhere from like three to 10 of us that go and it's just the time of our lives. But each year we try to up it a little more, a little more. And now we've gotten to the point where I will pack in frozen filet mignons because I have figured out that if they're rock solid at about 10 a.m., by the time we go to cook them that night and they've been in my pack all day, they'll be perfectly thawed and we'll cook them over the coals. And you're like, look how smart I am. Look at me up here on top of the Indian staircase eating filet. You talk steak, I'm with you, man. So, you know, each year, you watch all these YouTube videos. Well, this year I'm gonna build furniture. I watch how this guy used this tool and, and made a chair out of sticks. And this year I'm gonna bore these holes and make a rocket stove. And it's just more and more bushcraft. If I could grow a beard, I would have one every year in November, but the Lord didn't give me that. So anyways, uh, each year my backpack seemingly gets heavier and heavier because of all of just the junk. Collapsible saw, I need an ax, multiple knives, frozen steaks. One guy brings in a carton of eggs that's bungee strapped to the back of his deal. It's just over the top. But two years ago, we, uh, we get up there and um, the sun's starting to go down. And imagine the lights in this room got a little bit dark here for just a second. And the lights go down and that's the time you need to get your headlamp out because you're trying to cook steaks over some coals, right? Uh, well, I had forgotten my headlamp. I had a 60 pound bag full of all, sort, all sorts of equipment and I didn't have this thing. So this stage isn't very high and there's a little bit of ambient light here, but imagine like I'm walking around this Indian staircase. If I can't see where I need to go, I can get hurt pretty bad, right? So I, I, I walk shamelessly over to the fire where the guys are sitting. I say, any chance anybody has an extra headlamp? And a few hands went up. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like how many headlamps you pack? We're here for like literally 12 hours. Like, why do you have multiple headlamps? I, I don't know, man. I just want to pack some. And one of my buddies reached this tool out of his back pocket. You can bring the lights back up. Reached this tool, reached in his pocket, pulled out this headlamp and handed it to me. He gave me exactly what I needed and he had an extra one. Now, the honest truth is out of the 60 pounds of equipment that was on my back and all the food we had packed as if we were gonna starve in 12 hours, the headlamp was arguably the most important piece of equipment. Like, I, I, if I was cold, if I was hungry, I could hike back down the mountain and get in my car and drive to McDonald's. There's a nice Hardee's not too far away. I always eyeball when we drive past it. 
But if I don't have a headlamp to see where I'm going, that can become very bad, very quick. Here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, as Christians, we have an unlimited supply of these in our back pocket. And we are constantly surrounded by people who are in the dark, whether they're aware of it or not, and they need one of these. And for whatever reason, most of us, many of the times, don't pull this out and offer it. Now maybe, maybe, maybe it'd get awkward. Maybe I've tried before and they turned me down. Maybe my hands get slimy. I get nervous. What if I offend them? We have an unlimited, what, what, what if I lose this and I don't have my own? We have an unlimited supply of a headlamp to light the path to share with those around us. So the question kind of is, is like, what are you doing with yours? Again, this isn't a legalistic thing. We aren't trying to earn our way in. This is in light of who we follow, who we serve. Are, are we using this tool to pass it on to others to light the way? So salt, light. Now let's combine the two. Now I know in the back, this might be kind of hard to see. Ooh, maybe I'll set it up on this bowl. How about that? This falls off. Y'all pray for me. Uh, if you can't see it, use your imagination. I believe in you. Look at this thing. All right. Anybody know what this is? Yeah. All right. Well, it's a hand saying yes. Yeah. yeah. Himalayan sea salt lamp. What, what do you think the intended function of this lamp is? From the manufacturer. As they advertise it, what do you think the what do you think this is supposed to do? Look cool, okay? Ionize the air. It's a smart man. Other thoughts? We got spiritual healing. The front row right here. We get we get added vibes right here. What else? Takes away negative. Yeah, ionization. These guys know what's up. Any other thoughts on this magnificent lamp? Create an atmosphere. Was that at the same time, both of y'all? Wow, Holy Spirit's moving. This is awesome. Okay, so real quick. I, man, I love my mom. My mom has done nothing but support me my entire life. And she is a giver. She loves, she supports, she encourages. She's the last person to be critical. She is the best. She gives some of the wonkiest Christmas presents you have ever seen. I mean, I'll share this with you guys because we got some time, but uh, she is like the target audience for the as seen on TV stuff. Like she'll say, hey, you put your toothbrush in this thing and the UV light kills all the germs, you should use this. Or, oh my goodness, this is like an addition to your toilet. It's like a, a mini bidet and everyone in the family got one. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is weird. Like, what else, what else? Uh, she gives us these... these, these uh, pressurized water it's almost like a uh, pressure washer for your driveway but for your teeth and it's to floss y'all seen one of those she was a dental hygienist so like she gets an out for all the tooth stuff but like she will just she'll see something and she'll buy 12 of them and give them to everybody in the family like oh this is going to change our lives so she gives me this salt lamp and I don't know what uh 
what style your homes are, what you're into. I'm not like a decorator, but this doesn't do anything for me. Um, and I've, I've tried to find other uses for this. I grew up hunting, so I was like, man, it turns out the salt comes off, and I was like, I could make a salt lick out of this out in Bullitt County. The deer would love this thing, but I'd break my mama's heart if I'm like throwing the lamp out in the woods. Uh, golly, uh, my sister-in-law is a vegan. Every decision in her life runs through the lens of what impact does this have on X, Y, Z, from the clothes she wears to everything she eats. I thought she would be all about this. I was like, hey, hey, Paige, you want this? I'll give it to you. She's like, no, I don't want that. I'm like, come on, man. Like, I can't get rid of this thing. And as I'm preparing for this sermon, I'm like, oh, salt and light. This is it. Praise you, Lord. His providence pays off. Okay, so here, from the manufacturer, I'm reading a quote here. Health benefits and fresh air. The Himalayan rock salt lamp enhances the ionic balance of your living spaces, enjoy the incandescent natural properties of this unique salt crystal lamp. Himalayan lamp, when lit, emits a soft amber glow. The heated salt crystal emits negative ions, these guys are smart, that naturally ionize the air, creating a soothing and calming effect, which helps you sleep better at night and allows you to be refreshed. You guys feeling it? That's a load of bull crap, isn't it? Like, it has to be. There is no way. I don't believe it. Uh, and I actually did some research on this just to double-check myself. Uh, and I found that they had studied this with some rats and mice. Imagine, like, anyways, rats and mice, and there were some antidepressant and anti-anxiety effects on the rats and mice because of this type of lamp. Okay, that's a far cry from, like, calming, soothing, I sleep better. Maybe for some of us it would, but I'm just saying... I don't think that that's function is going to have an impact on my life. But here, here's what I have to be honest about, right? The person who made this is the person who gets to determine what its intended purpose is, right? Like, isn't the person who designed this, who created, who made it, aren't they the ones that get to decide what its function is? Not me. I can be a critic of it. I can believe it or not. But at the end of the day, whoever made this, they're the ones that decide its function. Jesus speaks to his disciples, his followers, his students, his learners. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If you're not going to be salty, if, if, if you're going to put a bowl over the light, you're useless to me. Rather be useful to me so that others will see your good deeds and give glory to God. And so here's what I think some of us in this room need to hear. Is that God... God has gifted you specifically by the power of his spirit in a particular way to be specifically useful to him and you need to be obedient to leveraging that gift for his glory. Like some of you, some of you are really gifted at evangelism. I don't feel like I am. I really get sweaty in my hands and it can be the simplest thing and I'll get sweaty when I'm talking to a coworker and I get all nervous. Some of you guys are just carefree and you feel like, yeah, I got all the right words, man. Some of you are gifted at evangelism and you are able to light the path forward. You are able to preserve life. Are you doing it? Some of you are really gifted at hospitality at like welcoming others into your home, into your life that they might see and it would rub off. Some of you are really gifted at that and God created you to be useful in that way to him. So are you doing it? Are you leveraging it? 
Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like before the foundation of the world was laid, he did a CAD drawing for this whole deal for every one of us and made the design of how we would be useful to him. And Ephesians says, now it's our job, now that we have light, now that we can see, now that we have our headlamp, to walk into those good deeds to his glory. Again, we're not earning our way in. We're not trying to earn God's grace, but grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. We are called to exert everything to pick up our cross and follow him. Uh, a man who poured into me for a season as a mentor taught me this equation. I may have said this to you all before, but this is something that comes up a lot in my life for me. Is he said, Sam, look, at the end of the day, what you claim to believe plus what you do equals what you actually believe. And that's not legalism, that's just like anything. Like if my vegan sister-in-law claims to be a vegan, and I see her eating a double quarter pounder, I'm not so sure that she really believes what she claims to believe. You're tracking. So, so much of this text is about being useful and doing stuff for God, be useful to him, and to bring him glory. So what you claim to believe plus what you do equals maybe what you actually believe. Couple, couple guardrails I feel like we've got to throw up for us is that living this salt and light life requires tremendous wisdom and discernment. Tremendous wisdom and discernment. Like we might want to walk around like Emeril Lagasse, bam, 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 you know? But if you come up to somebody who is hurt, whether the church has hurt them, or it's something from their childhood, or a coworker, maybe they've recently been told by their employer, you're no longer useful to us, you come across someone who is a walking wound and you throw salt in a wound, I don't think God's gonna get much glory from that. We certainly have to have wisdom and discernment in how we exercise this in our day-to-day, -day, right? Additionally, you come across someone who's walking in the dark. If I get this headlamp and I get right in their face, get out of here and they're gonna run. That, that's, that's, not, that's not real useful. So certainly as, as we live this out, it's going to require tremendous wisdom and discernment. Colossians, which I referenced a little while ago, Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way that you act towards others, towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Be wise as we live this out. Sometimes when you look at both ways of breaking down a situation, it can be tricky. So we really have to be prayerful, dependent on the Spirit, have these conversations in Christian community. Man, how did that play out for you? What do you think I should do? What do you feel like the Lord's putting on your heart? And here's the last thing from our text I want to just highlight. In verse 16 where it said, so that others would see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That word for glory is where we get the word doxology. Like if you need a plumb line to measure, like am I, am, I, am I living this out? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Because it seems like he does way more than me and like I just don't feel like I'm gifted like him. Like how do I know? 
Is God getting glory? Are you extolling his name? Is, is his praise, is his glory, is his honor your chief end? Is that what you're aimed at in your decision making? Are you running it through that lens? That's kind of our plumb line, I think. So as we bring that together, that principle that we said as followers of Jesus, we should strive to be useful to Jesus, I'll add, and in doing so, bring him glory. It's not a real complicated principle that as followers of Jesus, we should strive to be useful to him and in doing so, bring him glory. So here's, here's kind of my last question to the room. I'm gonna open it up and I'm maybe gonna take a little bit of a risk with this one. The other one's easy, right? What's salt, what's light? This one's gonna be a little more personal. And let me frame it up and I'll even go first and then I'll open it up to you guys to answer. Where do you need to be salt? Where do you need to be obedient and lean in and be light? Based on the opportunity that the Lord has set in front of you? Based on the way that he has gifted you and designed you and made you and molded you and now called you? Where do you need to be faithful and to be useful to him? Maybe a name comes to mind. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe there's a name that comes to mind. Maybe there's a location. Maybe there's some conversations that happen at the gym or on the golf course where you know you could be salt and light and you've not leaned in. Maybe, maybe it's an employer who has told you you're not useful anymore and you know, man, I could be salt and light in this situation and how I handle this. I could bring God glory. I could be useful to him even in the midst of this. Where do you need to be faithful? What's the name? What's the place? I'll go first. Shane. I have a lifelong best friend that in certain seasons of life, I'm really faithful to get on my face and beg the Lord to call him. That he would see God as good and come to faith in him. And after a while, I tend to get discouraged. I don't want to be honest about that with you guys, but I'm in a season where I've not been intentionally on my face for Shane. I've kind of given up. Like he's heard the sales pitch, he's turned me down enough that I've no longer pulled the headlamp out anymore. I've kind of resigned. Kind of just thought, you know, I'll wipe the dust off my sandals and move on. But the spirit this week has been convicting the snot out of me. Sam, I have made you to be salt and light. I've given you an opportunity here. And you're not being useful to me. You've got a light right now. Oh boy. Look at this. This is what the Lord told me I look like. I don't want to be useless. But that's functionally what I'm doing. So I ask you guys for a name, for a location. Where, where do you need to be salt and light? And I think, I think when we share that out loud, that takes real courage. Because it takes courage to be salt and to be light in a world that is constantly fleeing from the things of God. It's hard, especially in a culture that is constantly more and more anti-Christian, certainly. But where, where do you need to be faithful? Where do you need to be obedient? What's the name? What do you got? John. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. And my home. My sister, Rita. My sister. Rob. Rob. I think I heard my son. How do you determine that without feeling like you're doing judgment or 
It's mm. a good question. I think 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that every one of us are born blind. That the ruler of this world has blinded us and it is the gospel, the light of Jesus Christ that opens our eyes. And so, you know, the best I can do is say, hey, would you like, do you need this? And they can tell me no. And I, I don't want to offend anybody. But the gospel is offensive, certainly. Like our culture says, you are perfect the way you were made. There's nothing wrong with you. You be your authentic self. You be you. And don't let anybody let you tell you different. The Bible says every one of us is born into sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it is because of Jesus that we can be redeemed, that we can be sanctified and brought into, into redemption, into reconciliation with the Father. So it is not a matter of I am better than you, I've got it right, you've got it wrong. It's, man, we're all on life support from the start. And if you're walking around in darkness and I have a headlamp, the best I can do in love is to share it with you. Coworker. My daughters. My neighbor. My brother. Brother-in-law. Talked about walking into a convenience store, being intentional as you go. Let me just pray for us, and we'll just ask that the Lord will bring clarity on this, conviction on this, encouragement on this, empowerment for this. And then whether you unpack at tables or as you go, again, my prayer is that the Lord would use this to call us to be useful to him, that he would be glorified. Again, not because we're earning our way in, but because as his followers, as citizens of his kingdom, the king gives us our marching orders and we go do it to his glory. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the courage of the men who shared those names. And thank you for the several other names and places that came to mind for countless others this morning. Spirit, would you um, help us to be gracious with our conversations, to always be seasoned with salt as we go, that we would not have a spirit of superiority, but it would be exactly as you outlined in the Beatitudes, that we would be humble, that we would be broken, that we would be hungry and thirsty for righteousness in order, God, that we could tell others about you and bring you glory. Spirit, I ask that you would set up opportunities for every man in this room today, this weekend, this week, to be salt and to be light. God, I have missed the mark more times than I ever care to acknowledge, and I know I'm going to still. So help us to have grace even for ourselves for the opportunities that we miss, that we get scared and we retreat from. But Spirit, would you empower us to step in, to lean in, to preserve light, to stop decay, to, to light a path forward, to dispel darkness so that others would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. We ask that in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.